This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. I'm excited about what God has in store for 2020. And um, there's no way that in this service we're going to be able to talk about everything, and, but there are some pretty cool initiatives coming around the corner uh, of a, a Cedar, a Cedar Rapids uh, campus launch in the fall. Uh, we have some a really kind of a novel, new thing we've never done before. We'll be doing it in February. You'll, get to, you'll hear more about that soon. Um, there's really some, some cool things happening in 2020. And I guess what I want to do today, you see on the wall it says heart for the house. What I want to do today is I want to talk a little bit about what it means to have a heart for the house. And then a challenge to all of us to say, God, whatever you want for me or for us in 2020, we're in. We're in. It requires something of us. It requires for us to step back a little bit and, and not just go into default mode because this is often how default mode works for us, right? A new year rolls around and immediately we think, oh, I got to lose some weight. I got to eat better. I got to do this. We have all of these resolutions that we make. We create the resolutions and then we go into this default mode of basically dealing with the same issues that we've always had in the same way that we've always dealt with them. And then at the end of it all, we're like, yeah, we're back to square one again. What's up with that? So what I'm asking you to do, actually, is to step back from that and say, okay, God, you're doing something new in 2020, and I want to hear you. I want to hear you. I, I, I want to hear what you, my default is that at this time of year, I go straight and I take a left turn. But God, I want to hear you because you might say, no, not left turn, right turn. And what is that? hearing the Holy Spirit speak to us. And that's really what my, my heart is for this series and for this year and for us as a church. I'm in the same mode. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not myself doing. I'm, I'm sincerely saying, God, what is it that you have in store for the Green family? What do you have in store for our future? What do you have in store for me as a pastor of this church and for the direction that you're calling us into? I want to hear you, God. Amen? Uh, this past week I was... Um, I was in Louisiana, so right after Christmas Eve service, I, we, we took off, and we drove all the way to Dallas, Texas, spent a couple of days with my mom there in Dallas, and then I drove to Louisiana. My in-laws are all in Louisiana. You know, I've talked about them before, the rednecks from Louisiana. Those are my in-laws. Interesting conversations, you know. We, had, we, we got to watch LSU beat somebody. I can't remember who they, Oklahoma, yeah. Got saw LSU beat Oklahoma, and uh, man, what was funny is right before that game, Right before the game, we, we knew the game was coming up, right? And so we were all gathering for the game. And, and so, my, so I went to one sister-in-law's house. I have two sister-in-laws and three brother-in-laws. I went to one sister-in-law's house, and, and she said, okay, Rich, if LSU is losing, we're just all going to disperse because you just don't want to hear what people have to say. So if, if they're losing, you just, just get out of our face. We don't want to be there, Right. Uh, and so then I went to the other sister-in-law's house. She said exactly the same thing. I'm like, man, these people are serious about this stuff, you know? And so fortunately, they were not losing. They were winning. So there was a lot of cheers and excitement and, and happiness in that house. And anyways, I went there. And I, uh, during the game, after the game, uh, my brother-in-law, Danny, I was sitting and having a conversation with him. He was talking about um, how the church that he's been a part of, the church that he got saved in, was, had been for several years now declining so much so that they've actually they had a bigger building. They got rid of the bigger building, went to a smaller building, and, and even the smaller building now is just not doing well. And, and uh, the numbers are really, really going down. In fact, they have, two twin, they have twin daughters, and 
the, their daughters are the only kids in the children's ministry. And so he was, just, he, was, he was really, he wasn't complaining. He was heartbroken over it. But he was saying, we feel like we need to find another church. And, uh, and he was asking for advice on how to look for another church. And so I'm very sensitive to those kind of things, you know, because I pastor a church. And I don't want people to say, I got to leave my church and go to another church. But, uh, but I get it. I understand that those things happen. And so I wanted to have a conversation with him about what can you do. First of all, let's, let's talk about this. This is not a quick decision. You have to pray through this. What can you do to bring about change in your church? Maybe, maybe there's something that you need to do that you, that you can get involved in or somebody or recruit other people to get involved in. And we talked through that. And, um, and then we got to the place where we began talking about going to another church. And he gave me a couple names of churches that I was familiar with in the area. And, uh, but I went to their website to kind of look them up, you know, and find out a little bit more about them, you know. And partly it was because we were trying to look for, in his case, uh, theological alignment. We, we, you know, uh, it's important that you kind of agree on the same things, you know, and, and you, you don't go from one place and then go somewhere else. Where it looks really cool initially, but then discover they totally believe the opposite of what you believe. And so we were kind of talking about that, and, and he was in agreement with me, but, but then I... I felt actually from the Holy Spirit, and it kind of goes along with what we're talking about, I felt like I needed to say to him, but here's what you need to know, Danny, is that you're not just shopping for another faith community that you're theologically aligned with. That's important, I think. But you're actually looking for a family. You get that, right? It's not just about going, we're not just a bunch of people, a collective of people here that we're just all in agreement and we have a sort of same linear thinking as, as far as what we believe, but that we are a family together here. I look around to individuals that we've been doing life with for the last 14 years, and, and I, my heart just leaps. I see people that were once connected to Life Church and then got disconnected to Life Church and they're now back connected to Life Church, and, and I'm just like full of joy over that. There's some people I see that I know enough of their story to know that they were once married as a couple here at Life Church, and now they're divorced, and half the, half the couple's not here. And that brings sadness to my heart. Why does that happen? Well, because we're a family. We're not just a bunch of robots walking around with some theological ideas that we all agree on, and that's it. We're family. We're home. And so this series, as we talk about heart for the house, is we're welcoming you home. We, it's, we use that language here a lot, welcome home. And that we use that because there's no greater feeling than coming home. We just were in Louisiana, Texas, and came home. There's not a better feeling than walking into your own home and putting down your stuff and getting into your own bed, and especially for me because I sleep terribly in everybody else's bed. And so I, I, I love being in my own bed, you know. And there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater than getting home and seeing your family. Now, I get it that some of you are like, no, I don't want to see my family ever. <laughs> Not everybody feels that way. Some people don't feel that way. But some people do. Some people feel like, man, I love seeing my family, right? And so I, I just want us to develop a heart for this house. We're calling it a house because it's a family, right? There are many of you that clearly you've, you have a heart for this house. You demonstrate it through your positive attitude, through your very generous giving. You know, Kingdom Builders, we're talking about Kingdom Builders. We've been doing this now. This is our third year of doing Kingdom Builders. In the last two years, 
This is going to shock you. In the last two years, you have given $530,000 towards Kingdom Builders. That's above and beyond. Yeah, amen. You can clap for that. You have a generous heart. There's some of you in this room that you're so generous because you know you have a heart for this house. You believe that God has placed his hand upon us and he's called us for, on a mission and we have a vision and a direction that we're going in. And you say, I believe in that and you totally have gone in all in with it. You invite your friends to it. You, you're a part of this. And, and there's others of you that you may be looking from a distance. Maybe you haven't been here long enough to, to know whether you really want to go all in with this family. I mean, if you'd gone to my house, like, you know, you know how it is when you go to somebody's house and you walk into their house and there's like a little foyer as you open the door. Maybe not everybody has a foyer, but you have that little entrance to your house. And can you imagine that you bring a guest into your house and then they stand at the foyer and you welcome their, them there at the foyer and then for the rest of the couple hours that they're there, they're just standing in the foyer? Wouldn't that be like weird? I mean, it'd be weird because you would think, well, what's wrong with us? Why, why don't they want to come in and sit down, you know? <laughs> Be weird for them that you're, we're sitting there saying, hey, good to see you there at the foyer. You know, that would be kind of weird too. Now, I get it. Like if you had come to my house like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, like 15 years ago to my house, and you had walked into our foyer at our house and seen all these kids running around and chaos going on, you'd have been like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this family. I'm just going to stand here in the foyer, and if I can escape, I will escape, you know, because I'm not sure if I want to sit down on that couch. I think there's peanut butter and jelly on that couch. Or something. I don't know. You know, you might feel that way. So, but here's the deal. My, my, my thoughts are, is that we, we are a family. We are welcoming you, we're welcoming you in home to this family. We want you to engage us as a family. So my prayer is that, that the Holy Spirit will speak to us, that you will make a decision to not just hang out in the foyer, but to actually come into the living room have a seat at the couch, take off your shoes, maybe make your way into the kitchen and start cooking something up because you're family. You're family. You following me? Tracking with me on that? That's my prayer. But I get it. It can be scary sometimes. Going all in with a church family is like sometimes going, like if you've come here, you're new to here, you come here and you're like, there's just a lot of weird people here. Not you, none of you. It's in the other services, but a lot of weird people here, you know? And um, I'm not sure if I want to be a part of this family, you know? So you're watching from a distance, right? Be scary. It's like, it's like exploring in the Amazon jungle some uncharted territory. You're not sure that you want to go there. It's risky. It's scary. And so make no mistake about it. This is really an, an invitation to this adventure, an adventure of faith. And that's what I'm looking at 2020 as is that God is speaking to each and every one of us to join in in this adventure. There's an author, journalist, Miles Harvey. He, uh, I didn't actually read the book. I was reading a blog post where they cited the guy, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I went to Barnes & Noble and sat there and found the book, and then just kind of skimmed through the book a little bit, and I was like, I'm not going to spend $19 on this book. Uh, it seems silly. The book seems silly, but um, the, the title of the book was Island of the Lost Maps. But it was interesting to me because of some things that he was talking about 
And uh, what, what the book is about is he, uh, Miles Harvey wrote this book as a, it's, it's a true story of a guy named Gilbert Bland who would travel on the East Coast and he'd go to like the Northeast libraries, specifically public libraries in the Northeast and on the East Coast. And he'd go into these libraries and he'd go into the rare book section or the old book section and find maps inside of these books and he would cut them out and steal them. They were unsecured, and so he would steal these maps. And evidently, there's a huge market for old, old maps, and so he was making a ton of money and eventually got arrested for doing it, you know, and this happened all in the 90s. And so Miles Harvey was tasked with writing about, about Gilbert Bland and his criminal wave, you know, of stealing maps. I mean, I think there's other things you could have stolen, but it, I guess he thought he was going to get away with that one, right? And so as he began to do the research, he had to dive into this, the field of cartography, which he had never done before. Um, he started doing the research. He realized that, that he began to like, awaken a, a desire for adventure in his own life. This is what he says in his book, um, Island of the Lost Maps. In my 30s, I spent a great deal of time at the Kopi, a traveler's cafe in Chicago, whose walls were adorned with masks from Bali and shelves filled with, with guides to far-flung destinations. I was then the literary, literary critic for Outside Magazine, a great job, but one that was beginning to wear on my patience. You see, the books I, I read were about people who climbed Himalayan peaks, rode a bicycle all the way across Africa, sailed wooden boats across the Atlantic, or tracked into restricted areas of China. These tales of adventure filled my days and in my, in my imagination. That's an important word I want us to kind of think about, imagination. Filled my days and my imagination, and yet my own life was anything but adventurous. The interior of the Kopi coffee shop was ringed by clocks, each one showing the time of some distant locale. And as I watched the weeks ticking away in places like Timbuktu and Juneau and Goa and Denpasar, I began to long for an adventure of my own. And I suspect that what Miles Harvey is writing here, many of us might resonate with. This feeling of sitting in a coffee shop, watching other people's adventures and waiting for our own adventure to take place. We kind of become content to watch at a distance. See what other people are experiencing. We'll make excuses for ourselves. Like, why I can't go on an adventure now. Well, we'll make an excuse, like, you know, my kids, i got to raise my kids, or i got to do this, or i got to do that. And then as time passes, what happens eventually is we get to a place and we settle in, and we say that this life that I have is the best that it's going to be. And our bottom line becomes, I just have to have enough money in the checkbook. I just have to, you know, be able to get my kids off to a good school, or get my kids out of the house. <laughs> we miss out on what God is calling us into. So those of you who started this new year sitting in a coffee shop, watching other people's adventures, that's really what I want to invite you into is an adventure of your own. Now make no mistake about it. A heart for this house, a heart for the house, um, is risky. It's going to require challenge, uh, accepting challenges. It's going to, you're going to, there's going to be discovery. This is not just, hey, check off the box, I'm attending church. This is really about taking some new steps, 
listening to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit, when normally you would have gone straight and then left, the Holy Spirit said, no, straight, now right. And stepping into new areas, new arenas of your life. For some of you, it means engaging God's word. Others of you, it means receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For others of you, it means taking a decision to not take this job and instead do another thing like go on a mission field or go on a mission trip. It will be risky. There will be challenge. But I suspect that some of you want that because your faith has probably become stale. There's no stories to tell what God is doing in you what God is doing through you. Yeah, you attend church. We attend church. And it's okay. I like my church. I like the music. I like the preaching, maybe. <laughs> maybe you like the preaching. <clears throat> There's no stories to tell of God's activity in your life and how he's transforming you day in and day out. And so you're longing for this adventure. So my prayer is, as I was preparing for this, is that God make us a house full of explorers. Amen? Do you want that? No? Evidently not? You didn't answer me. (laughs) Do you want that? Do you want a life of exploration with God where God is leading you and guiding you and showing you things and revealing himself to you where God is stepping into your life and transforming your life and making you a better follower of him? I want that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not satisfied with where I am in status quo. I want more. And so the challenge for us here in 2020 is, is to go all in for Christ. Now, just in case you think I'm off my rocker, you think this is crazy, Rich, what's wrong with you? you got to know that that's exactly the invitation that Jesus gives his disciples. Jesus doesn't say, hey, by the way, come follow me and just sit in church for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's not the invitation. If that was the invitation, I would not go. Like, that's boring. He invites us to go all in with him, to be, to be explorers, to be on this adventure with Christ. In fact, let's look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, this is the very beginnings of Jesus' ministry. He's been in the, in the desert, tempted for 40 days by, by Satan, and then comes out of the desert, and, and now he starts his ministry. <clears throat> One day, when, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. So people are following him. There's a great crowd of people. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So uh, Luke kind of describes there's these two empty boats on the, on the water's edge, meaning they're not in the water. They're kind of like in dry dock. They're being, they're being uh, you know, prepared so that fishing can happen the next day, but they're being pulled off the water. And the fishermen are cleaning their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, so if you could get a mental picture of this, the boat is off the, it's not in the water, it's off the water. And Jesus steps into the boat. (laughs) It's not his boat either, by the way, right? Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, this is Simon Peter, to push out into the water. Okay, so your boat's on the shore, you're really, you're done for the day, but Jesus steps in, it's a little bit presumptuous of him to step into the boat and say, hey, Simon, I want you to put out, push out into water. This is like, it's a, some people might call that rude. And yeah, that's what Jesus does. He tells Simon to push out into water, so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Basically, Jesus was looking for a platform to be able to preach 
being in the water, the acoustics was better. It, was, it would amplify his voice as he was teaching. And so Peter, so Jesus is preaching from this boat, and Peter and Andrew are sitting next to him, watching him. At this point right now, they have yet to be called by Jesus into ministry. Okay? Now they know him. Peter knows him especially because Peter didn't ask for this, but Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So like Peter's like, Peter's like why? No, no, that's not what happened. Just... <laughs> But he had just healed his mother-in-law, <laughs> right? So he, he knows of Jesus, but he hasn't fully accepted Jesus. He hasn't fully gone all in with Jesus. He just knows about Jesus, right? He also knows that Jesus has, you know, he's cast out demons. So there's this, he, so what he know what's happening right now is basically is here's Peter who at a distance is watching Jesus and Jesus decides to borrow his boat as a pulpit. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. This is why I know that what we're talking about is real, because here Simon reveals his distance, his skepticism. Okay? Now, let's put context. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. He heard that Jesus cast out demons. So this is very first-hand knowledge that he has right now. Now Jesus says, go out into the deep, and we're going to catch some fish. And then this is Simon's response. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. There's a point there. There's a period there. (laughs) But really, there should be a big pause there, like a big gap. Because what you're finding here is that Peter's saying, listen, Jesus, I've been watching you. you. I think you're pretty cool. And I think... I think you're able to do pretty amazing things, miracles and stuff. But I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. What do you really know about fishing? I've been fishing all night long. You, like, you just built a cabinet or something. You don't know what's going on. We can insert that between that period and the next line, actually. Because what's revealed here is actually that Peter's skeptical And yet, this is what Peter says, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And he makes a decision to actually do what Jesus asked him to do. Verse 6, at this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in in the other boat. And soon, both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am a sinful man. I am such a sinful man. I think Peter at that moment realizes, man, I've been skeptical about this, and he's the real deal. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and follow Jesus. Do you see what happens here? At first, Simon is skeptical. He's not sure. But then this miracle happens, and things begin to turn around, and his skepticism turns to belief, and eventually Simon leaves his nets, leaves everything behind, and goes after Jesus. See, I think many of us live in that space between the period and the next line, that in between. We do... We've heard stories, we believe to some extent, 
But we don't go to the next level where he says, go ahead and push out the deep, throw out your nets. We live right there in between. Let me, let me make it real for us. Um, we go to church every Sunday. We might even put something in the offering plate. Check. We're done. Nothing else is affected in our lives. Oh, I got a good advice from Pastor Rich the other Sunday. Okay, maybe I'll just do that piece, but that's all. See, Peter actually went further. He went on this adventure with Christ. And I think that you and I, we want an adventure of our own as well. So what will it take in 2020 to leave your nets? And let me qualify that. I'm not telling you you have to quit your job. It's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about professions. We're talking about a heart that goes totally after God. What will it take in 2020 for your heart to be totally sold out to God? To God, I'm all in with you. Maybe your adventure begins with learning and discovery. I, I love what happens here with Peter. You know, he's heard the rumors. Like I said, his mother-in-law got healed. He's, he knows all of that, but he's still watching at a distance, you know. And Jesus is using his boat as a platform to preach when he asks him to do that. Now, Peter has a choice. And Jesus says, hey, push out the deep. Peter's a choice at this point. He can say, look, Jesus, I've, I've been working all night long. I know what I'm doing. I don't think I want to do that. He could have made that decision. He could have said, we know better than what you do. And, and I think a lot of us do that in our Christian walk. That there is a challenge from the Lord and we know that it's the right thing, but we also have our own wisdom. We say, no, but we know better. So we're just going to do what we think is right. But Peter decides instead to, to you know, to listen to Jesus. He took this opportunity to discover a little more and in doing that, he steps into this new challenge. I think that that's where many of us are right now. God has challenged you in 2020 to, to step out of the status quo, to learn and discover a few things. So I think all of us have questions. The reason why we stand at a distance and we're listening and we're watching and you know, you can hear me preach every single Sunday, and you might hear me say the same thing over and over again, but you're not going to necessarily practice that at home because you're skeptical. You have questions. And maybe you feel like you can't even ask those questions because they're, maybe they're inflammatory. Or they're, they're just hard questions. They're not, a good spiritual person would not ask these questions. Questions like, Rich, you talk about the goodness of God, but if God is so good, then why have I had, to, I had to suffer so much in life? You might feel that way, but you, can't feel, you don't feel permission to ask that question. Or maybe you, you're like, God, Rich, if, if God is so powerful, then why hasn't he healed my body? You have these questions. And they're valid questions. They're good questions. But I think too often we hide behind those questions. It becomes a routine for us to just go to church and do our thing, and, and we have our skepticisms over here, but we don't need to talk about those. We won't talk about it. We'll just kind of live this dualistic life. I have my church life, and then I have my everyday life. We hide behind these questions. I, I preach up here 45 plus times a year, plus or minus, and my, my goal is to preach this book. In fact, one of the ways that I simplify it for myself is 
what I, what my goal as a pastor and, and speaking to you is to help us organize our lives around the teachings of Jesus Christ, meaning all of our lives. That whatever Jesus tells us in this book, that we're going we're gonna to hear them, and then we're going to do them, and we're going to organize our life around those teachings. And if we could do that, we will be successful in our, in our Christian faith. And I do that, like I said, 45 plus or minus times a year. Um, but inevitably, every once in a while, I get an email sent to me saying, hey, can we, can we meet? Or a phone call where somebody wants to talk to me about something. Not often, but sometimes it's a challenge of what I said. Sometimes I get challenged and I said something like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> That's wrong. I, should, I can't believe, you know, 800 people heard that, but uh, that happens. Sometimes they want to challenge what I say. Sometimes it's philosophical differences or ideas that they want to discuss these philosophical ideas. Oftentimes, most often, it's just regular everyday things like, like relationships. They want to talk about relationships. They want to talk about suffering. They want to talk about sexuality. And, and so when that happens, we sit in my office and we have a conversation about these things. And, I'll, and almost always, I'll say, listen, there's a great book. If you bought this book, it'd be, I think it would be really helpful to answer some of your questions. Or I'll say, Here's a, I'm going to send you a, a YouTube link or a video link to, to watch this video. This will really help you in, in, in these questions that you have. You know. And Now I've done this long enough that I realize that this doesn't always work. I mean, I, I'm hopeful that it worked, but it doesn't always work. You know, I might run into that person six months later and say, hey, did you buy the book? Did you watch the video I sent you on that link? And it's like almost, almost always, but not always, almost always like, no, oh, man, I'm sorry. I totally forgot to buy the book or I didn't watch the video. I mean, I managed to watch all of Parks and Rec, but I didn't really watch that video. <laughs> we hide behind our questions and our faith gets paralyzed because of it. So my challenge to you is to take the next step. What is that next step that you need to take? See, Jesus welcomes your questions. If you have questions, it's okay. Thomas had questions. He was like, I don't, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive. Until I see his scars and I see his side, I will not believe. And Jesus, when he encountered Thomas, didn't say, oh, Thomas, you're, a, you're just a pathetic follower of mine. You should have blindly believed. That's not what he says. He said, hey, Thomas, check out my scars. Look at Put your hand in my side. He welcomes our questions, but he doesn't want us to hide behind those questions. I think some of you will not be able to overcome some of the doubts that you have until you actually begin to explore, until you dive into the book, until you take the next step. Now, this is not just for new believers. This is for all of us. This is learning and discovery is for every single one of us. Uh, I've been in the faith for a long time, and I've discovered that there's a lot more that I don't know about Jesus, and I need to keep discovering those things, right? In fact, Hebrews 5 talks about that. The writer of Hebrews says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. And he's basically saying, do you, see, do you see what the writer of Hebrews, he said, there's a progression that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, that there's this progression. You're not meant to just Hey, I'm in the church and I'm in. I'm done. No, being a follower of Jesus Christ talks about growth, spiritual growth, that you are continuing to grow. And so here the writer of Hebrews, he's rebuking them, saying, listen, you've been following Jesus so long that by now, by now you should be actually mentoring and teaching other people. But instead, you need someone to teach you again the basics about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So... 
Why not make 2020 a year of discovery? I think another thing about this adventure is that it's going to demand personal involvement. That's what we see here with Peter. Peter is sitting in the boat with Jesus. Jesus is, tells him, go out to deep. And it's like for a while, he's just observing for right now. But now it requires action. You have to do something. He actually has to go out. He actually, and so the story reveals that Peter's a little bit cynical about this. He doesn't think it's going to work. And yet, because you say so, Jesus, I will. Like maybe he was thinking, I haven't caught anything anyways. Maybe by my fluke or luck, I'll just catch something. So because you say so, I will. And what's so cool about this story is that Peter, with this measure of disbelief, because he has disbelief, he hands over one small area of his life to, to Jesus. Okay, I don't know that really we're going to catch more fish, but okay, let's go do it. Sometimes when I talk about going all in, it just seems so radical, doesn't it? It seems like, I, I, yeah, Rich, that sounds great, but i got to get my finances in order, my kids raised, and this and all of that. And really going all in starts with something sometimes just in disbelief handing over one little piece of your life. It's okay, God, because you say so, I'll do this. Like maybe praying for your enemies and forgiveness. I mean, it seems so ridiculous to do that. But the truth is that your bitterness and your anger is not really working out for you anyways. So why not? Jesus, because you say so, I will. Or what about finances? And you work hard, you work hard to make ends meet, but it's not really totally working out for you completely. And yeah, Rich, you talk about tithing, but I'm just I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind, mathematically speaking, my mind around how 90% is better than 100%. That just doesn't work in my mind mathematically. But what's, what's happening now with the 100% is not really working, so... Because you say so, Jesus, I will. Or maybe in your marriage, you say, you know, I'll see what happens if I begin to pray with my wife. Or maybe start loving her sacrificially and unconditionally. I mean, she might just run all, all over me. Who knows? But maybe, maybe something else will happen. So Jesus, just because you say so, I'll try it. What you're basically saying to God is, okay, God, I'm going to explore your truth in this area of my life. And let's see what happens. So, the question is, are you going to be a tourist, or are you going to be an explorer? It's a choice that you have to make, because you can come to church every single Sunday, every single Sunday, and just be a tourist, or you can come to church every Sunday and begin to explore what God has in store for you, or in the language that we're using here, heart for this house, are you going to be a guest? Or are you going to be a family member? What were you going to do? I can't force you to do anything. It's really your choice to make the decision to go all in with Christ. You know, I used to think when I first came to Christ, I, um, I remember that, that day I was sitting in the back and the pastor preached. And I really didn't understand everything that I was getting myself into when I said I'm going to become a Christian. But I, I knew that I didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> so... I walked up to the front, and I gave my life to Christ. I invited, this is the language we use, I invited Jesus into my life. And I understand the language. I'm not trying to be 
I'm trying to diss this language or anything, but I've come to realize over time that that's not really the invitation. Like, Jesus doesn't really want to be invited into your life. Your life is boring, relatively speaking. Like, Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, I see you're a pretty good fisherman here. Why don't you join me in the fishing business? Why don't you join me and I'll teach you how to, you know, clean fish and mend nets and, man, we'll just have an awesome fishing business if you keep fishing like that. See, that's not the invitation. The invitation is actually for us to join Jesus in the adventure of a lifetime. These disciples, their response to the miracle that Jesus did that day was simply leaving their nets behind and saying, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm all in. That's the invitation of Christ for all of us is to go all in with him. I clearly remember that day for me. It was November 1984. I had been a Christian for a couple of years by this point. And um, meaning, when I say that, I mean attending church, even tithing, doing all the, the stuff that's Christian related. I was a junior at University of Texas in Arlington, and I was also working a security guard job in, in, at night. So I had this, you know, eight hours from like 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. or something like that. I would 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. I'd work in the night as a security guard. Believe it or not, I was a security guard. That was a terrible job. Anyway, uh, I remember one night I was driving home after getting off from the security guard job, and I was in my little Honda Accord hatchback, uh, and I was driving over from from Arlington on what's called Cooper Street, over Cooper, over the overpass. They have this big overpass, going over the overpass onto Interstate 20. And I had cassette tape, you know, in my car. It was fancy cassette tape, you know. Others had eight tracks. I had cassette tape. And so I had this cassette tape player in my car, and I stuck uh, a a cassette in by Keith Green, a guy named Keith Green. And as I was going over the overpass, I remember this vividly. I was going over the overpass. This song came came on. I make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to do. I I mean, I'm emotional now over it. (laughs) Going over the overpass, I began to bawl like a baby, like ugly crying. You know that... If I had makeup on, it would have been all over, you know, that, that kind of crying. I'm just like bawling like a baby. Come over the overpass all the way down, and then I, it was just so bad that I had to pull over on the side of the highway, and I pull over on the side of the highway, and I'm just like ugly crying, like convulsing, shaking, and holding on to the steering wheel and singing the song, and then as if it wasn't bad enough, I would just replay the song again, you know, and that, that was hard on cassettes, by the way. You had to rewind and kind of time it and all that, but... um. <clears throat> And so I'm just like, just crying, and all of a sudden I see lights behind me. <laughs> State trooper pulls up, and lights come on, and he comes up, and I'm ready. I've got my driver's license, and I'm wiping my face, and I've got my driver's license and my insurance card out, and he knocks on my window and says, uh, something going on? What's happening here, son? Texas, you know, hey, son. And um, I said, what? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I didn't know what to say, and I kind of handed him my driver's license and all that. He said, he, I think he wanted to do like a sobriety test because he saw all the tears and stuff. And, um, and so I just blurted it all out, you know. He's, he's asking me questions. He's asking me questions like he thinks I'm drunk or something, you know. And so I just blurted it all out. I said, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a good Christian. I need to go all in for Jesus. I mean, I just started saying all this stuff to, this, to the stage trooper, you know, and... and and I'm just laying it all out there, you know. And he says, son, get out of the car. 
so I get out of the car, and we walk around to the other side, you know, and he's like, so tell me what's going on. I said, well, I just, you know, I just told him details. I'm not going to say here. But um, uh, he then said, well, you need to get home and uh, go to bed. Obviously tired. And uh, let me pray for you. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he prayed for me. <laughs> Nineteen eighty four, November nineteen eighty four was the day I said, Jesus, I want to go all in. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of just checking a box at church. Oh, I go to church, yeah. Life church is my church, yay, check. <clears throat> it's not enough. That's not the invitation of Christ. Christ doesn't invite you just to go to church. He doesn't invite you just to tithe or to do these things. He invites you to go on an adventure with him. And as much as I want to preach that into you, at the end of the day, it's a choice that you have to make, period. You choose. Amen? Let's all stand. Well, um, time is way past. But we'll, we will uh, basically... Uh, unwrap this more over the next several weeks what does it look like to go all in to engage with Christ to start serving to give your life away we'll, we'll talk more about that kind of stuff as we weeks go on today my prayer for you and I'm just going to pray for you and I'm going to invite you up for prayer we'll, we'll end like that but my prayer for you today is simply this <clears throat> is that you make a choice I, I've said this before many times in the past that the most spiritual thing you could do is not pray or the most spiritual thing you do is not read your Bible we think that's what's the, the spiritual things that we can do you know what the most spiritual thing you can do is to choose God it's a choice because all of us every single day are faced with choices and sometimes we make a choice we say there's a choice in front of us it's the right choice of, if I could tell you this if you just decide this this is going to radically change your life forever. And you will not regret it. And that choice is in front of us, and we say, that's a good choice, but no, I'm not going to choose that right now. It's a choice that we're making. And so the challenge for us today, as I invite you to go all in in 2020 and really for the rest of your life, is to choose to do so. Make the choice simple. God, I choose to go all in. Father, I'm just not going to go with the status quo anymore. I'm not going to go with the routines anymore. I'm not going to go with, with my own wisdom and knowledge anymore. God, I choose to go all in with you. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And when you make that choice, you'll be on the adventure of a lifetime. I guarantee you that. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, <clears throat> that that you're in this place. Today, Father, we are a group of explorers, adventurers, a group of people that are not going to be satisfied with the status quo anymore. Holy Spirit, we know that you're going to challenge us, that you're calling us, you're already challenging us. There are individuals in this room that you're challenging to, to abandon 
all of the old ways of life, the ways that they have sustained them and they feel like that's the way to live and you're challenging them right now to let that all go. There are others here that you're challenging them, you're inviting them into a risky walk of faith, whether it's their finances, whether it's their careers, whether it's going on a missions trip to Cuba or to, to South Africa in the future. God, you are challenging us to make a choice. So today, Father, we choose. We choose you. We choose the adventure that you're calling us on. Anything less is just not enough. So we choose you right now, Father. In Jesus' name.